The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and available in 40 states. Head to cut.com. That's cut, K-U-T-T.com. And use promo code SGPN to get 10% on your deposit bonus. Plus, we're also brought to you by the SGPN Merch Store, 15% off everything when you use the promo code PLAYOFFS. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast. Now, it is currently Thursday afternoon, January 25th, and I'm your host, always, Scott Reichel, once again, going uh, solo for this pod. Very historic episode for the podcast. This is currently episode... 209 and yet it is number one if you are on youtube because we are officially live streaming right now so follow us on the tennis gambling podcast on youtube if you want to get the live streams the point is i know it used to be available on spotify and apple exclusively now we are on youtube as well so we're going to be live streaming every episode moving forward should be fun picked a good time to start because it is officially semifinal time on the men's side for the australian open so we're going to start off by a recapping, of course, what happened in the previous round, going through our picks from the previous round, and then get into the previews for the matches between Djokovic and Sinner, as well as Medvedev and Zverev. But once again, as I said a second ago, we're going to go through the usual routine. If you are new, first of all, welcome. Hopefully you enjoy. Hit the like and subscribe button. But a reminder, if you are familiar with the podcast, we always do the recap first, potentially a rant here or there, and then we'll get into the actual previous of the matches with the best bets or the lock and dog picks at the end of the show. So without further ado, let's get the show on the road, starting off with the actual recap of the last episode. Overall ended up splitting. Uh, could have been better, could have been worse. We did have the over 39 games in the Medvedev and, and uh, her catch match as the lock, which got there as the match went five. Very fun match, could have gone either way, but the point is the over was really never in doubt, and we picked up a nice winner there. For the dog, though, wasn't even close. Had Alcaraz winning straight sets at plus 140, and he lost outright in four sets. So Zverev came to play. Alcaraz did not, and as a result, we ended up splitting uh, for the lock and dog picks. But to actually get into the takeaways and the recap for the quarterfinals, I'm going to go through each match in order. Then I'll get into my actual opinions on those matches in a second. Uh, starting off with the Djokovic and Fritz match, uh, you had Djokovic winning against Fritz again. Uh, congratulations to Fritz. He won a set, but now Djokovic is officially uh, 9-0 against Fritz Lifetime, so not exactly a shock that that was the final result. Fritz played well. I don't know if he should feel encouraged or discouraged that he played one of the best matches he's ever played, and he still lost in four sets and was never really a threat to win the match. So definitely a weird mixed emotions kind of feeling there for Fritz, but Djokovic was fine. Wasn't amazing. I believe he started the match 0 for 15 on breakpoint chances before finally converting. And at that point, the route was on. Either way, though, Djokovic got the job done as he advances to another Australian Open semi as he looks for his 11th Australian Open title. But moving on, you had Sinner beating Rublev in straight sets. Pretty misleading uh, scoreline because Rublev probably should have won a set there, especially that second set as he led 5-1 in the breaker and then immediately lost the next six points. So Rublev, I'm going to get to in a second. I have a rant for Rublev uh, after we finish covering these matches. But I want to at least point out that Rublev did lead 5-1 in the breaker. I believe he went 0-8 on breakpoint chances. And then Rublev ended up kind of falling apart there in the third as Sinner held his nerve, got the break, and held to win in straight sets. Then you had the marathon between Herkatch and Medvedev, which was very entertaining, where it was back and forth. In fact, they alternated every set. 
Medvedev won the first set via tiebreak. Her catch won the second set. Medvedev won the third. Her catch ended up coming back to win the fourth. He was actually down a break, and it looked like the match was going to be over. And then her catch came back and won. And then Medvedev got a second wind and did pick up a break in the third. In or out to a 6 4 uh, win in that fifth set, culminating with that very solid uh, little dro uh, jump drop shot there on the final point. But Medvedev got the job done, advances to another hard court uh, semi, and a look for his second. Australian Open title. But moving on to the last match, you had kind of the shocker of the round. You had Zverev uh, beating Alcaraz in four. Really wasn't that close early on. Zverev won the first set 6-1 and then won the second set 6-3. Looked like he was going to win it convincingly as he was up a break in the third. I believe he was up 5-2 and then had a classic Zverev collapse. But he did regain his nerve and he did win in four. So Zverev ended up getting the job done as he advances to uh, the semis, facing off against his nemesis in Medvedev, who's done well against him, historically speaking. But the point is, you are going to end up seeing what should be two fun uh, semifinal matches taking place on Thursday night and on Friday morning. Now I have to I have to actually get into the rant I was going to mention, because like I can mention a lot about the players who won and lost, but i got to start off with one main point. i got to talk about Rublev, because Rublev, I mean, we got to talk about it. 0 and 10. They might be wondering what I'm talking about. I'm sure most of you who follow tennis know what I am talking about. That is Rublev's record in Grand Slam quarterfinal matches. He's officially 0-10. It used to be kind of a running joke of, well, he'll eventually win one. It's not a big deal. It is what it is. And then it's still going on. Uh, Rublev won a Masters 1000 title before winning a single quarterfinal match in a Grand Slam. So a couple reasons for it. I'm going to get into some details, but I'm going to start off with the actual path, or I should say the opponents that he's faced. Because to be fair to Rublev, he's not had many favorable draws in these quarterfinal matches. Starting off with the, these are in order. Faced off against Nadal, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Chilich, Tiafo, Djokovic, Djokovic, Medvedev, and Sinner. Not exactly many free wins out of those 10. Now, of course, you can make the argument that Chilich on clay and Tiafo on hard were the two most likely victories for him. I believe Tiafo was in the U.S. Open, though, so there was a crowd advantage there, and I do think Rublev lost that one, I want to say, in four. The Chilich one was a great match. From what I remember, it went to a super breaker, and Chilich played Pretty much the greatest super breaker that I could remember. He was incredible the entire way through. So Chilich kind of won God mode there in that quarterfinal match. Still, though, Rublev's a top 10, top 5 guy. At some point, you got to win a quarterfinal match. It just is what it is. But I will point out, at least in his defense to start, I'm going to roast him in a second. But for defense, he has had a difficult level of competition in those quarterfinal matches. And I wanted to at least discuss that because I have to at least try to be fair on both sides of the equation. Then we get into the difficult spot. So starting off with the actual, I'd say, flaws with Rublev's game, it's twofold. You have the physical and the mental. So the mental is going to be the big one. I'll save that one for last. Physical. We got to talk about how he seems to really only have one gear, and he really does not have any plan B. Rublev, for better or worse, is going to hit the ball as hard as he possibly can. He's not going to finesse it. He's going to try to overpower you, and he's going to try to push you around the court. The problem you run into is that, as a result, since he is pretty one-dimensional, or I should say a one-trick pony to some degree, he's pretty easy to prepare for, especially if you're an elite op opponent who's not going to let uh, Rublev push you around the court with the forehand and the backhand. He really doesn't have any backup options. Does he slice? Not really. Does he volley? Not really. 
Drop shots? No, not really. And I do think, once again, you are looking at what he's good at. He definitely knows his strengths. He's going to hit the ball harder than most players on tour, but that also results in unforced errors and some timely misses because, once again, he's going to try to hit the ball as hard as he possibly can. And he really doesn't have much rally tolerance. I do think he can rally. He doesn't choose to do it enough. He tries to get ahead in the point more often than he should. And as a result, he does kind of forfeit some points freely with the unforced errors. So that's one issue. I got to mention with Rublev, even a simple slice, it's fine. We saw him use it in the ATP Finals last year against Djokovic, where he lost in three. He was willing to be patient early in the in that match, and there ended up having success. But when you're going to constantly smash on forced errors, and you're going to be willing to kind of let the racket uh, dictate your racket dictate the entire match, there's good and bad. And when your opponent can go into wall mode or at least force some extra shots, Rublev might forfeit more points than he should. And that definitely was an issue on the break points that he had in the center match in particular, because he went 0 for 8. I know that center is a good server, but in a quarterfinal match as a top five, top 10 player in the world, you can't go 0 for 8. You got to get at least one break in. Uh, but once again, uh, Rublev ended up having some physical issues because center was able to just either out hit him or outlast him in the rallies. And that was the issue I have with Rublev physically with his game. Kind of just the fact that he really has no variety. He should come to the net more once he actually does hit some powerful shots down the line. But he really stays away from the net. And I do think he should try to put away points at the net more often than he does. Point is, there's some areas in his game he needs to improve on. Of course, the current areas of his game have gotten him to a Masters 1000 title. And he has been a top five player. But I got to at least point out, there's really no variety there. And I do think that you're looking at a spot where he should improve that moving forward. I see a question from uh, Beans McDouglas uh, in the chat asking when the matches are. The Djokovic match going through East Coast time is tonight, and the Medvedev match should be in the morning. For some reason, they have the Djokovic match first, which I find kind of fascinating because that is easily the better match. Should be 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, and then the other match should be taking place at around, I'd say, 3.30 a.m., give or take. So once again, it depends how long the Stinner match goes against Djokovic, but that will be starting at roughly 10.30 p.m. Don't have to worry about a late start because the women's matches are not taking place. They're, they're uh, up to the final. They had the women's semis yesterday, so that will be taking place this weekend. So it should be taking place 10.30 p.m. Eastern time for the Djokovic and Sinner semifinal. But to get back to my point, though, joke uh, I mentioned before, Rublev has struggled a bit with his variety, and that's something he needs to improve on. Then you have the mental aspect, because I've talked about it before. If you do follow the show, Rublev is very good as a front runner, and he's very good at beating weaker opponents. But the problem that he runs into, it, it has to be a mental block at some point, uh, especially when you're 0-10 in this area. You have to wonder if at some point, We've seen the outrage. We've seen the, uh, I don't say mental breakdowns, but uh, the outbursts, we'll use that term, that Rublev has displayed constantly when matches don't go his way, yelling at either himself or yelling at his box. The point is we know Rublev can be a bit of a short circuit at times, and that's going to definitely come back to bite him. And I do think that's going to actually provide a bit of energy to the opponents because if your opponent can see how easily flustered you are and they're, they're going to assume that what they're doing is giving you problems. That's a massive confidence boost, whether you've played tennis or not. You can imagine in any sport, if you are playing and you see your opponent having kind of a mental breakdown, 
you're going to feel better about yourself because you know that what you're doing is successful and it's going to cause you to feel good about your current game. And Rublev really is no poker face at all. It's really a Jekyll and Hyde thing with him on the court personality compared to off the court personality. We know how likable he is with the quotes and the interviews, but on court, he is definitely not afraid of self-destructing. We've seen it time and time again, and we saw that in that tiebreaker in the second set. If you're up 5-1 in the tiebreaker, and once again, you're a top 5, top 10 player in the world, you can't lose six straight points. That just can't happen. So, of course, mental is going to uh, his mentality is going to be a reason for the 0-10 record. His overall physical limitations with the lack of variety will be another reason why. And once again, the strength of schedule has been an issue for Rublev as well. I have to mention it. But once again, Rublev will get over the hump at some point. But 0-10, I got to bring it up. You got to do better than that. Just going to throw that out there. Now, moving on to the other take I wanted to mention, which was the Alcaraz and Zverev match. I was dead wrong on my prediction. I thought Alcaraz would win, uh, potentially comfortably, because Zverev was dropping sets uh, throughout the entire tournament, whether it was to Kempfer or to Klein. But Alcaraz, I got to talk about his game for a second because I know that he's only 20. I know he's a two-time Grand Slam champion, and I know that he's going to be a future superstar number one player in the world once Djokovic retires, and he'll be probably running the tour for a long time. Having said that, I got to talk about his tennis IQ, and I got to talk about his flaws with his game. He's extremely talented. He can make every shot. The problem is he thinks he can make any shot at any moment, and as a result, his shot selection is very, very poor at times, and I do think his tennis IQ is a bit poor at times as well. Now, Ferrero, his coach, was not there in Australia, and it did seem like Alcaraz was extremely flustered early in that Zverev match, and he really made no adjustments. The truth is, even the third set that he did win, I'm not sure if he made adjustments or if you just saw Sitsipas collapse uh, because of the nerves, and then Alcaraz eventually punted it right back in the fourth set as he ended up having a really bad service game to allow Zverev to serve it out. But the point is Alcaraz, I recognize how great he is. I know how young he is. So immaturity is going to be an issue for him early on. He's only 20, so he can improve on that. But once again, I feel like not enough people talk about how Alcaraz's tennis IQ is really not as great as you think it might be. And I do think that, once again, the in-match coaching has done a ton of, I'd say, it's had a massive uh, positive impact on Alcaraz's tennis trajectory because I really think in matches, he looks to his coaches all the time for feedback. They give him advice all the time. I think Alcaraz's problem-solving ability is really not that great, and I do think it can definitely be improved upon moving forward, and it will improve. I'm not saying that Alcaraz is supposed to be this unbeatable guy, once again, before he's legally allowed to drink in America, but I do think you're looking at a spot where Alcaraz can improve on that mentally. He mentioned post-match. The issue for him is the serve the truth is, it really wasn't the serve for me. I just think that Alcaraz was trying to hit too many winners, and he just was trying to end the points so quickly that he just kept punting away free points. And I feel like I had to mention that. Alcaraz, once again, insanely talented, two Grand Slam titles, two of many. He's going to win a lot more. But the lack of tennis IQ and the lack of problem-solving ability on his own, I do think comes back to bite him. And I do think that's, once again, a testament to why Djokovic is the best player of all time and why Djokovic is still dominant at this age. It's because Djokovic can really use uh, plan B, plan C, even plan D if he needs to. And I'm not sure how many other players have a backup plan. And Alcaraz, as far as I'm concerned, needs to work on his problem solving and his adjustments mid-match. But either way, point is Alcaraz lost. 
And as a result, you end up seeing a pretty interesting set of semifinal matches. You have Djokovic against Sinner, which is the main event, which is going first, which I find kind of weird. And you also have the Medvedev-Zverev match. A lot of history there. They faced off a ton. But before we get into any of those match previews, do want to take a quick word to talk about our sponsor. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in, and you can win up to 100 times your money with some spicy plays. So watch along, make your picks, maybe uh, make a little money over Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up with the promo code SGPN, Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished doing the recap of the quarterfinals on the men's side. Now it's time to get into the actual preview. The reason why all of you are here for this episode, we're going to talk about some upcoming matches that should be very fun in the semifinals of the Australian Open. So starting off in order, we're going to look at the matchup between uh, Djokovic and Sinner. And Djokovic is a favorite of about minus 190 or minus 200. Line has been kind of hovering, maybe dipping a little bit. Uh, but the point is, Djokovic is a decent favorite in this matchup. Uh, Sinner's plus 165 the other way. Over-under for games is about 40 and a half. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. As for the actual uh, uh, set wagering here, you can get Djokovic minus one and a half sets at even money. Sinner plus one and a half sets at minus 130. Match to go to... Uh, four or five sets, or in other words, over three and a half sets is a minus 225. If you want to get crazy with it, you can get Sinner to win in straight sets, currently available at eight to one. Djokovic to win in straight sets is at plus 260. Now to go through the actual head-to-head between these two players, Djokovic is four and two lifetime, but Sinner has done well recently. Sinner's won two of the last three meetings. He won in the group stage in the ATP finals. Of course, Djokovic avenged that one in the actual championship match, but he also was Sinner was also able to win in the Davis Cup as Sinner came back. Really phenomenal comeback. Djokovic had triple match point facing Sinner's serve at I believe it was 5-4. And or I should say 4-5 because Sinner was serving. He ended up holding. Then he got the boomerang break at 5-5 to go up 6-5, and he served it out in the third set. So Djokovic, once again, is 4-2 and two straight up, could be 5-1, and one, but Sinner held his nerve and won the Davis Cup match. So Sinner is definitely going to be a popular dog, in my opinion, for this matchup because Djokovic has been dropping sets left and right. But I do think Sinner, who is, even though he's not dropped a set in this event, has been more vulnerable than you might think because against, for example, uh, Kashanov, he ended up uh, only getting broken once. Kashanov had 10 break points. So that match was definitely up in the air even though it ended in straight sets. And in the Rublev I mentioned before, a Rublev went 0 for 8 in breakpoint chances, was up 5-1 in the breaker, and lost six straight points. So Sinner has so far not dropped the set, but he probably should have at this point. So I think Sinner is going to be a common underdog pick because of his great form. And now he's not dropped the set, but if you've actually watched the matches, you recognize that he's been more vulnerable than the final results suggest. But Djokovic... As a 10-time champion here, uh, Sinner's never made a Grand Slam final, so you could argue, even though he's won the Davis Cup and even though he was in the uh, ATP Finals uh, championship match, which he lost, this might be the biggest match of his career. So you can argue that maybe you're looking at some nerves. He did make a semis in Wimbledon, and Djokovic killed him. So you can make an argument that, once again, Sinner on hard court has a great chance to make a final. Of course, he has the trajectory of being 
a multiple-time Grand Slam champion, especially based on the current form he displayed uh, in this tournament and in the back half of 2023. But simply put, I do think that nerves might play a factor in this match. Djokovic has dropped a set in three of the five uh, matches that he's played in. So I once again, I recognize Djokovic has not been dominant-dominant, but we've seen this before. Sometimes it's a marathon, not a sprint with Djokovic. He will try to do whatever he can to drain the life out of his opponents. Long rallies, using his elite stamina and his durability to really inconsistency to just wear down his opponents. And I do think Sinner, once again, who's been very good in this event, I think Djokovic is a worthy favorite, obviously. I'm not going to pick against him. I know people might. I do think I'm going to mention once again later in the show with the actual lock and dog picks, an angle that I like for this match that has more value than minus 190. But I do think that Djokovic, simply put, if you've won the event 10 times, I'm not going to pick against you. It just is what it is. Sinner, I think, is going to have some success at times. I think he's not going to go empty-handed. But I do think that at the end of the day, when this match goes into the fourth and the fifth set, Djokovic, we've seen time and time again, is probably the clutchest player of all time. Sinner has faced off against Djokovic twice in Grand Slam matches. He's 0-2. Both were, on Wim were in Wimbledon. You might remember Sinner did lead 2-0 in a quarterfinal match a couple years ago, and then Djokovic killed him in the final three sets. But I do think Sinner, once again, is going to have moments, but I do think Djokovic will be too fundamentally sound. I think he's going to be too consistent, and I do think Sinner, despite all of the holds he's had in this event, he's had a lot of dicey moments with break points, which he's fought off quite well. And Djokovic went 0 for 15 to start with break point chance against Fritz, I don't see that happening again. I think Djokovic, once again, will capitalize on his chances better than Sinner's opponents in the past. And I do think that Djokovic will do a good job of applying constant pressure to Sinner. And I think Sinner will fold at some point. Give me the over in this match, though. I see a very competitive, maybe a five-set match. But I am going to go with Djokovic to get the job done. And I do think that the over is worth a look in this one. I don't have any thoughts to the actual minus one and a half sets here for Djokovic because this can go five. I think three and a half sets. Is a good parlay piece for this match. If you want to take 39 and a half games, by the way, at minus 145 instead of the 40 and a half, you can. Maybe you want a team total. You want to go Djokovic team total over 21 and a half games, or maybe you want to go with Sinner. That's an option too. But I think Djokovic gets the job done. I think that he's going to end up advancing to another Australian Open final. Now, moving on to the next match, you have Medvedev taking on Zverev, where Medvedev is a smaller favorite as he's minus 140. Zverev is plus 120. Over under this match is either 40 and a half at minus 135 or 41 and a half at minus 105. Both of those to the over. The under 41 and a half is minus 115. The under for 40 and a half is plus 105. As for the game spread, Medvedev minus one and a half games is minus 115. Uh, Zverev plus one and a half games is minus 105. If you want the set wagering, you can get Medvedev to win in straight sets at plus 350. Zverev to win in straight sets is plus 600. Zverev minus one and a half set. Uh, uh, Zverev uh, plus one and a half sets is minus 170. Medvedev minus one and a half sets is plus 140. And Zverev minus one and a half sets is plus 225. Medvedev plus one and a half sets is minus 285. Now, to go through the actual history between these players, Medvedev's done very well in the head-to-head -head as he is currently 11 and 7 straight up. As Medvedev is currently 11 and 7, and you're looking at the last couple of meetings, Medvedev's been very good. In fact, Medvedev has won five of the last six, and they faced off a couple of times on hard court uh, recently, and Medvedev did win both of those in straight sets. So you can argue that Medvedev, once again, kind of has Zverev's number. You can also argue that Zverev has been playing great tennis, and both guys have been dropping a bunch of sets. So Medvedev has dropped at least one set in four of his five matches here. 
while Zverev has also dropped at least one set in four of his last uh, five matches. So you can argue that a length might be the story for both semifinals, especially in this case. I do think that the over is worth a look. The only concern, though, is that Medvedev has been double faulting a lot, and you've seen some energy dips in his game with the actual weather in Australia. Zvera's been very good with the marathon matches, but I am wondering with the overs, if you are going to end up seeing maybe a 6-2 set in there. We saw her catch when it set 6-2. So I'm not expecting maybe a ton of breakers, maybe a couple in this one, but I expect a lot of long rallies, a lot of ebbs and flows. I do think this match has a shot to go to five. Over four and a half sets is plus 180. Bit cheap, but understandable. Uh, the over three and a half sets is at minus 240, which I get. Maybe a decent parlay piece as well. I do think Medvedev's going to win. He was struggling but physically midway through that Hercatch match, but he does have an extra day off to prepare and to, to heal himself. While Zverev did call for the uh, med call medical timeout after the third set and then ended up battling it out. But I do think with a matchup between two guys that should really lay it all, all on the line here, potentially a four-plus-hour match, it wouldn't shock me. I'm going to lean to the over, give me a marathon, but I do think Medvedev is the better player. And Medvedev being this good in the head-to-head, -head, especially recently winning five of six, tells me that Medvedev will get the job done, even though Medvedev also ended up getting broken while he had a shot to potentially win the match against Hercatch. I've seen Zverev choke away too many big matches in the past. I just can't trust him enough. And simply put, when you're going to look at that third set that Alcaraz uh, came back in against Zverev, it's really a story of Zverev's career, where he's had a lot of moments, whether it was the massive choke job against Team in the U.S. Open final, which is still an all-time choke job uh, for me, especially when he was serving for the match again in the fifth set before uh, choking it in the tiebreaker. The point is, I do think Zverev is mentally weaker than Medvedev, and I do think that Medvedev, just based on a style of play, is willing to outlast Zverev in a lot of these rallies. You might see some ups and downs, but I think Medvedev will get the job done at the end of this uh, battle. So give me Medvedev money line at minus 140, and I am only to the over in this one. But I think it's going to be a close match. Should be fun. Anytime you have 18 career head-to-head -head meetings, it could go either way, but I think Medvedev will get the job done, as he should win this one. And in my opinion... I'm going to say five sets, which might sound a bit difficult because Vera's uh, five-set record is actually very good. I think he's either 20-10 and 10 or 21-10 and 10 in fifth sets in his career while Medvedev has a losing record. But Medvedev's record was a lot worse, and then he's actually won the last couple of five-set matches he's been in. So I think Medvedev will get the job done in about five sets. That's going to wrap it up, though, for the actual previews of the two men's semifinal matches in the Australian Open. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks, but... For intending that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer -peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and available in 40 states. Peer-to-peer -peer social betting is the new and better way to bet. Bet, direct, uh, bet directly against your friends or other users on sports, politics, pop culture, and other events with very valuable outcomes, plus a ton of social features that give it the feel of a betting social network. Cut also offers lower VIG and fully customizable odds. You can create your own bets. Cut handled the payment side of things. So you never have to worry about chasing down your money. Social features include group chats, betting leaderboards, head-to-head -head history, user profiles, fan groups, and more. And they have good rewards. Get cashback every single time you bet against your friends or other users. Remember that Cut is the peer-to-peer -peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Head to Cut.com, that's K-U-T-T.com, and use code SGPN to get a 10% deposit bonus. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger betting smarter this interval season with Hall of Fame Bets. Sports analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, and soccer bet. 
with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit HOFBets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. We're also brought to you by the SGPN Merch Store. 15% off everything in the store from now until the end of the month. Promo code PLAYOFFS. We're also competing with other shows with the SGPN Network. So once again, if you do end up enjoying the tennis podcast and you do want to support the show we did add merch uh, over the past month so once again check out the merch store if you want to buy a t-shirt a mug a hoodie you get the point anything tennis gambling podcast is available on the sgpn merch store my favorite personally is the t-shirt big fan of different colors they have the green on green with the current logo we also have black and white if you do want to take that but it's very comfortable, and I do think, once again, you should get yourself a piece of merchandise if you do want to support the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We finished previewing the two semifinal matches in the Australian Open on the men's side. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a two-pick parlay. It's actually going to be plus money. We've done this throughout the entire event. It has been pretty good. We've seen a lot of marathons uh, on the men's side and the women's side. So for this one, we're going to go with a two-pick parlay. Give me the over three and a half sets in both matches. The Medvedev Zverev match over three and a half sets parlayed with the Djokovic over three and a half sets. And that two pick pays out at plus 113. I mentioned the stats before, but to go through each actual match, Djokovic has dropped at least one set in three of the five matches here. Sinner has not dropped a set yet, but of course, Djokovic is a different animal. And Sinner has been, some, uh, I'd say, in some difficult spots that he's gotten out of. But I do think he probably should have dropped a set at this point, and Djokovic will capitalize on the chances that Sinner has left available for his opponents in the first couple of rounds. So you're expecting a pretty close match between Djokovic and Sinner, and I do think, once again, with Djokovic dropping sets in more than half the matches here, I think you're probably looking at a four- or five-set thrower. So give me the over three-and-a-half sets in that match. As for the Medvedev one, once again, when you're looking at 18 career matches, it can go potentially either way. But Medvedev's dropped a set in four or five matches. Zverev's also dropped a set in four or five matches. Simply put, give me a couple of marathon matches. I don't see either of them being straightforward. And I do think that you're going to end up seeing a pretty fun pair of semifinal matches that should take a long time. Give me the over three and a half sets in both matches at plus 113. Parlay together as my lock. For my dog, I am going to go back to the Djokovic match, and I am going to go kind of a double-down play with the over three-and-a-half sets in that center match. Give me Djokovic money line, parlayed with each player to win a set at plus 130. Simply put, you're looking at Djokovic being 4-2 and two in the head-to-head. Arguably, I don't say should have been 5-1, and one, but the point is he did have triple match point against Sinner in the Davis Cup, and then he choked that away and got broken immediately right after it. But Djokovic is undefeated against Sinner in Grand Slam matches. I do think you're looking at Sinner once again being in great form. But Djokovic is Djokovic. You win 10 Australian Opens. You're the best player of all time. Sinner's never made a Grand Slam final before. Uh, You can argue nerves will play a factor. But Djokovic, once again, has been the best Australian Open player of all time, best hardcore player of all time, best overall player of all time. In three to five set matches, I will give him the benefit of the doubt all the time. And especially based on the last couple of matches, physically, he looked a bit iffy early in the event. He has gotten better as the match has go- as the uh, matches have accumulated. But he did drop a set to Fritz, and I do think, once again, he's not going to be good enough, based on his current form, to just bury Sinner in straight sets. I don't see that happening. I think Sinner gets on the board, 
But I do think as this match approaches the three and a half hour, four hour mark, Djokovic is the most durable and the, I'd say just the overall best long distance match of all time guy. And I do think you're looking at Djokovic wearing down center over the course of these four or five sets. Give me Djokovic money line. And once again, it's minus 190, minus $2. But if you throw in center to win a set, which is expected, you cut that juice down to plus 130. So I do like that play quite a bit. So once again, my lock and picks of the show, the lock is going to be on Medvedev and Djokovic each match over three and a half sets at plus 113 in a two-pick parlay. And the dog will be on Djokovic money line parlayed with each player to win a set at plus 130. That's going to wrap it up. For this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. We're back once again, twice actually, over the weekend. We will have the men's final and the women's final. Can do a separate episode for the women's final. So it should be fun either way. Until then, though, uh, once again, you know where to find me. If you also want to find me on other podcasts with the SGPN, uh, you can find me on the NBA show, the NFL show, and WNBA when it's seasonal. Either way, though, until next time, hopefully you did enjoy the first ever Tennis Gambling Podcast YouTube live stream. We'll be doing every episode in this format from now on. Sorry if it was a little bit shaky with some of the transitions, but I'm still also getting used to doing the board myself uh, in the solo hosting gig for uh, the YouTube. So either way, hopefully you enjoyed it. Leave a like and a comment and subscribe if you do enjoy. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.